Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. I say to Congress, I will never sign another bill like this again. I'm not going to do it again. Nobody read it. It's only hours old. Some people don't even know what it is. $1.3 trillion. It's the second largest ever. President Obama signed one that was actually larger, which I'm sure he wasn't too happy with either. But in this case, it became so big because we need to take care of our military. And because the Democrats, who don't believe in that, added things that they wanted in order to get their votes. As a matter of national security, I've signed this omnibus budget bill. There are a lot of things that I'm unhappy about in this bill. There are a lot of things that we shouldn't have had in this bill, but we were, in a sense, forced, if we want to build our military, we were forced to have. There are some things that we should have in the bill. But I say to Congress, I will never sign another bill like this again. I'm not going to do it again. Nobody read it. It's only hours old. Some people don't even know what it is. $1.3 trillion. It's the second largest ever. President Obama signed one that was actually larger. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here. Look, I, I told you yesterday, you you got to give you got to give the Buckster credit for keeping it real. I told you yesterday, this is not a, it's not a good it's not a good budget. It's not okay. Right? I, I you could I could take the reflexive, you know, well, whatever, you know, uh, Trump is going to do the right thing here, and the, I trust the Republicans in Congress, and nope. Not only did I think it's a bad idea, Trump thought it was a bad bill but he said look i, I got no choice because i gotta fund the military um i got i have a lot of thoughts on this a lot of thoughts on this. for one thing there's the there's the rand paulian view of all this stuff i think this is why people are so upset with politics because when the republicans are out of power when they're in the minority they are the conservative party but then when they get in the majority there is no conservative party democrats don't care about spending any of the time republicans seem to care about it when they're criticizing democrats but now that republicans are in charge republicans are like katie bar the door you talked about border security i'm i'm flipping through the pages today reading the bill i find out there is money for border security in tunisia in Jordan, we have border security money in the Middle East, but not border security money for the U.S. Now, I, I think that everything that Rand Paul says, that Senator Paul says here is is correct. I don't think any of you disagree with it. What is there really to disagree on? Clearly, there is something something happening here where how different is this really? Than what we would have expected if you had a, if you had a, a Democrat Congress. Uh, well, well, actually, here Senator Paul said that too. You know, I'm kind of old school. I think you ought to read the bills, you know, before we vote on them. This is a 2,200-page bill. We got it last night at midnight. I've been working all day diligently through the bill, and I'm up to page 600. But you know, I've still got quite a bit of ways to go to read the bill. 
As far as the content of the bill, this could have been written by President Obama and liberal Democrats. When I ran in 2010, when we had that Tea Party tidal wave, we were opposed to President Obama's spending, and we were opposed to President Obama's trillion-dollar deficits. This bill will give us a trillion-dollar deficit this year. And there you have it. Trillion-dollar deficit this year. $21 trillion is where we are, and it's going to get worse. Now... I know how this uh, how this goes in in a conservative on the conservative media side of things. So let me just let me dispense with that for a moment here. What people are going to say, you're going to hear a lot of like, oh, I'm so I'm so disappointed at the Republicans. Oh, my gosh. Why are the Republicans doing this? And and particularly people throwing throwing shade at the Republican Congress and not so much at the president because President Trump right now is very popular and, and he's the leader of the Republican Party. But so a lot of different media folks are going to say, oh, the Congress is just disappointing us. It's all about it's all about, you know, Mitch McConnell or Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell sounds a little bit like David Gergen, apparently, but different. Di- same, but different. Er, she's got this like a southern, southern version of uh, southern version of David Gurman. Um, but here's here's what I want to tell you, because as I say, I like to just just spew truth from the Freedom Hub whenever I can, and this is what we want, folks. This is what we all want. Other people aren't going to tell it to you straight. I am telling it to you straight. This is what we want. Now you may not, I may not. But we, as the American people right now, in general, do want this. And here's what I mean by it. We want to spend more than we take in. Nobody wants to say that the debt is a problem. Everyone wants to say that their projects are too important. Everyone wants to say that the military needs more money than even Trump asked for. Tens of billions more than he asked for. This is the uh, it's like the old the old Santa Claus situation. Nobody wants to say there's no Santa Claus, especially when they're all getting presents. So I'm here to tell you there is no Santa Claus. Unless you're a kid who's listening to the show who's under the age of 10, then there is a Santa Claus and I'm being a jerk. Don't listen to me, kids under 10. Little team, little team buck squad. You have mom and dad tell you that this part of it is different. Um, You know, Buck's just having a bad day. Mom and dad will explain. But for the rest of you, we want this. We want entitlements to remain untouched. We think we can spend more than we take in and continue to do so when we're already $21 trillion in debt. Spending is popular. Free stuff, goodies, government programs, they're popular. Cuts are not popular. Less spending is not popular. People say, oh, you know, Buck, the $6 billion for the opioid crisis. What am I going to say? We, I, I talk to you about the opioid crisis here all the time or, or frequently, not all the time. And, but I, I certainly have been raising the alarm about it. I mean, it's terrible what's going on. But as I've tried to tell you, it's about the illegal drug war, much more so than prescription drugs and prescription drug treatment. So no one wants to hear that we don't have money for that important thing. Fill in the blank. No one wants to hear that eventually this is going to be too much. And now I can't tell you when. If I could, by the way, I'd. Prepare my, you know, I'd uh, prepare my portfolio and try to play the markets. And, you know, there's all kinds of ways you could probably try to capitalize off of a massive economic collapse. Although the collapse could be so big that there's no such thing as a safe haven, really. Right. That's also a, a thing that you have to be aware of. But right now, everybody wants we want we want the markets to be high. We want robust 
growth, jobs, all this stuff, everything. We want to let the good times roll. Nobody wants to hear about how we can have all these things. What's the real problem with our budget right now? The real problem is now there's going to be a whole other focus we'll talk about in a moment, which is different pet projects of uh, members of Congress and of the left and fine, right? Discretionary spending. That's an issue, too, because of the politics involved and what's going on here. But the real problem is entitlement spending. The real problem is that we don't want to raise the age of retirement. We don't want to change Social Security. We don't want to do means testing. We all want to take out about twice what we pay in over the course of our lives to Medicare. And you can't and neither neither side of the aisle will touch it. Trump says he's not going to touch it. That's the real problem. Medicaid spending. Don't really want to touch that either. Gonna let that keep going. More and more free health care. More and more free health care for more and more non-Americans, too. You're going to see illegals getting more and more free health care in the years ahead. Just wait till you have a Democrat Congress. And now the military. And I, I understand the argument for this. And this is what Trump was really focused on. He's saying that, you know, this is uh, this is necessary to rebuild our military. It's been, he says, decimated. I think that's a bit strong. But uh, he says it's been underfunded in, in very important ways in recent years. Okay, but. What are we allowed to cut then? What can we do less spending? I'm not saying cut like we're not going to have it anymore. What can we spend less on as a country? Or what changes can we make to future spending? The answer right now is nothing. The answer is that Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and all the rest of them don't want this to change. And I I have to ask the question, are are we really just going to rely on having uh, some slightly better federal judges in place as the explanation for what we've really gotten from a Republican Congress. That's it. That's good. But is that really enough? Is that going to get you out to the polls in the midterms to vote? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, This is this is the situation, folks. We have two political parties that understand that the route to power to both achieving and maintaining power is by spending public money. Which is your money and my money. But they want to spend it. Spending gets votes. You're giving people stuff. All under the pretense that it's just coming from somebody else. But most of you realize that that's always a false a false bargain. It's a false bargain or a Faustian bargain. Depends on how we are going to frame it. Uh, so this is this is disappointing. There's, there's no way around that. It's disappointing. Trump said he was going to veto it or said he might veto it last night. I'm like, all right, here he is. Here's the fighter that we have. What's the worst thing? Send it back with a veto. Where's the wall funding? We were promised a wall. We weren't promised a few miles of wall. That's like a monument and an ugly one. I want an actual wall. Nope. No wall. Or 33 miles of the couple thousand miles of the U.S.-Mexico border. You know, it'd be much better to spend the $6, the $6 billion they're talking about in addition or opioid treatment to stopping the inflow of illegal drugs in the country, because then you can actually stop the heroin overdoses and the fentanyl overdoses that are happening. Better to you know deal with the problem at the, at the root if you can. But I don't know what the president. Honestly, you know, he's saying that he said it, I started out the show. I will never sign a bill like this again. If that's how the president feels about it, why is he signing in the first place? His base would stay with him. Their party would stay with him. If he sent this back and he said, 
no dice, no go. We, we, we can do better than this. And then there's some other parts of this, too, that I'm not even clear where what the president's going for. I mean, this is what he said about DACA recipients. DACA recipients have been treated extremely badly by the Democrats. We wanted to include DACA. We wanted to have them in this bill. 800,000 people. And actually, it could even be more. And we wanted to include DACA in this bill. The Democrats would not do it. Wanted to include DACA, does he mean... Is he saying we wanted to have an amnesty in exchange for wall funding? Because that was what was talked about a while ago, but... Okay. That's not that's not particularly encouraging either, folks. Look, I if you if you think there's a way, uh, if you think there's a way to to look at this so that it doesn't seem like a, a capitulation, something of a of a defeat. Oh yeah, in September, right before the midterms, then political courage is going to happen. Then disruption is going to be the order of the day. We, we all know that's not the case. This was it. This was it to have a different budget. There's not going to be another shot like this. Unless Republicans beat all expectations in the midterms, but even then, even then, I'm not sure you're going to see a change. I think Republicans are the Republican Party. The Congress is complicit in this. Spending is popular. Cuts are not. It's as simple as that. And until there's a until we feel the pain of our overspending of the government's overspending, this does not stop because foresight, wisdom preparing for the future. Those are not sexy. I'm going to make it rain in here. Who wants some cash? That's sexy. That gets people excited. And that's what this budget is really a a reflection of. And then there's some other problems in it that I'll get to in just a second. I wish I could say that, you know, I know it's Friday. I want to be in a good mood too. So, but we've got other things we'll talk about as well. Uh, Talk about the terrorist attack in, well, that's intense, but the terrorist attack in France. Got a couple of authors joining us later in the show because I like to mix things up on Fridays. Uh, we'll talk about the Never Again movement with David Hogg at the head of it and uh, a whole lot more. Oh, it is it is Friday, so as as per our tradition. Action. Get to the chopper! Movie. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Quote. You have the right to be dead. Fridays. Action ah! movie quote Fridays. buck Your thoughts, welcome here, my friends, and uh, we'll have much more. Stay with me. Scene in the Senate Budget Committee this past week was a disappointing one, I think, for the American people. They seem to be in full-scale retreat from spending cuts and are talking about raising people's taxes again. When push comes to shove, I guess it's always easier to let the taxpayer take the fall. No matter... Well, let them be forewarned. No matter how well-intentioned they might be, no matter what their illusions might be, I have my veto pen drawn and ready for any tax increase that Congress might even think of sending up. And I have only one thing to say to the tax increasers. Go ahead. Make my day. Yeah, President Reagan getting in a little action movie quote Friday with go ahead, make my day. Go ahead. 
Make my day. There you go. I said I think Reagan said it best, actually. I think the Reagan version's even better than the Eastwood version. That's right. Um, all right, so uh this is not a new fight. The president has been well, Republican presidents have been trying to deal with this for a long time. Dynamics have played out before, but Reagan wielded that veto pen a lot. I think I think didn't Reagan seventy eight times or something veto? There are a lot of a lot of Reagan vetoes over his time. So you can check me on that one, producer Mike. But I think we both know that uh, whatever comes up, whatever comes up from the from the buck cranium tends to be tends to be backed up by the facts. Now I'm really stepping on it if I get this one wrong. Up, oh, bam! Thank you, John. We got a lot of calls. Let's take some here. Greg in Mississippi. Hey, Greg. Greg. Hey, can you hear me? We can, sir. Very good. How y'all doing today? Oh, we're all I right. Hope. What's on your mind? It's, it's, it's not a good day for us, I don't think. But anyway, I think the uh, I think the Democrats pulled a coup today on the geniuses we got for on our side. I think at, in the, in, at the end of six months, when they're, we're in this position again, which is going to be right before election, that the uh, Democrats are going to have the upper hand, and I think the I, I, I think the Republicans capitulated the uh, the uh, majority in the Senate today. They don't. The, the Democrats evidently don't need to win anything now. Yeah, I just have to wonder if the Democrats can get the budget priorities they want through the legislature when they don't have the House or the Senate. Well, uh, they're in great shape. Works for them, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What, what do they need? They 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 are they got the high ground. They got everything they could possibly imagine. How? Because we got a bunch of gutless, worthless, spineless people. I mean, you know, Trump sitting up here saying that. Uh, I signed this bill for $80, $80 billion. I signed this legislation. It, look, it's... it's uh, <laughs> I, you, you can never get too excited about something the president signs into law when he's like, I never want to do this again. <laughs> right? So that's not good, Greg. I think we're I think we're on, in agreement on that one. Shields high, and thank you for the call from down in Mississippi. Folks, lines are open. we got some calls in. We can take some more if you want. 844 I've got to talk some more about this, and then I'll have some uh, other updates for you, including on that uh, terrorist attack in France. The Islamic State inspires yet another. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. We funded the initial down payment of $1.6 billion dollars. We're going to be starting work literally on Monday on not only some new wall, but also fixing existing walls and existing acceptable fences. There are some areas that you have to see through. You have to be able to see through the other side in order to see what's coming. And in many cases, it's not a pretty picture. Uh, this is a short-term funding, but it's immediate. This is the premier issue he ran on, and he's getting nothing. At the end of the year, and this is our big leverage moment, and the folks back home may not know, the Senate put in the last budget that they're not even going to do a budget next year. So no chance for wall funding. No chance to get the Goodlatte bill in. The major immigration piece of legislation in the House that addresses the DACA brings the kids out of the shadows, but in exchange for rational policy going forward that the president believes in. So, yeah, he ought to 
he ought to end this thing until he gets something of what he asked for as president when we have the House and the Senate. It's quite amazing. So you had President Trump there and then Representative Dave Bratt. Uh, look, I, I can't get excited about $1.6 billion for the wall. That's, like I said yesterday, that's uh, saving for your house and putting a few quarters in the piggy bank. Technically, it is saving for the house. It'll take you a few hundred years, though. And at, at $1.6 billion a year, it's you're, you're looking at uh, well beyond a Trump presidency to actually get a wall built, and that's if he wins both terms. So just keep that in mind. Another part of this that I I mentioned it yesterday. I wanted to give you some more specifics now. Uh, there is there's five hundred five hundred million dollars of funding for Planned Parenthood in this budget. The difference between the Republicans, the Democrats on a lot of issues is very murky. Life is supposed to be one of the only ones that's clear. Right. And, and, and it is clear, at least on a policy level, you cannot be a Democrat now and not be pro-choice, pro-abortion. You can't. And you're not welcome in the Democrat Party anymore. In fact, I saw some statistics earlier in the week about how, you know, back in the 70s and then in the 80s, almost half of Democrats were pro. I'm talking about in Congress were pro-life. So you had a lot of pro-life Democrats and then it's just less less and less and now the democrat party has signed on to be a a party of abortion extremists there can be no limitations no nothing nine months anytime any reason that's it and then special privileges for abortion clinics about oh you can't you know no standing in the pathway and all all, you know the first amendment be damned right because people need to people need to get abortions according to democrats it's a it's a I was going to say a God-given right, but that's actually the yeah, the opposite of what it is. Um, that's how Democrats view it, though. That it's a it's a, I was going to say it's sacred to Democrats, but even that it's not sacred. I don't know. It's it's coming from the other direction. Um, here is what Alexandra De, De Sanctis put out today, and I I wanted to go through it with you quickly on what this budget does for Planned Parenthood and, and what's really at stake here. She's a National Review and at the National Review Institute. Um, so here's what she writes about the $500 million. Here are some quick facts on what Planned Parenthood, which will receive half a billion dollars from the omnibus bill our, con- our, our Republican Congress just passed, was up to last year. Planned Parenthood clinics performed 321,384 abortions last year. That's over one third of all abortions in the U.S. annually. Abortion is not just 3% of what Planned Parenthood does. The group fabricates that statistic by conflating the number of clients with the number of services to downplay the group's provision of abortion. Planned Parenthood performed 83 abortions last fall for every one adoption referral. It offered fewer than 8,000 prenatal services to pregnant mothers last year, compared to 321,384 abortions. Planned Parenthood does not provide crucial health care that women can't get anywhere else. There are just over 600 Planned Parenthood clinics across the country compared to over 13,000 federally qualified health care centers, which offer a wide array of services without providing abortions. These federally qualified health care centers outnumber Planned Parenthood clinics 20 to 1. And yet we're supposed to believe that Planned Parenthood is somehow serving millions of women who will have nowhere else to turn. 
In California alone, the state with the most Planned Parenthood clinics by far, it's not surprising, there are just 114 Planned Parenthood locations compared to 1,900, I'm sorry, 1,694 federally qualified health care centers. Planned Parenthood's net assets at the end of last fiscal year totaled more than $1.6 billion. The group spent hundreds of millions on movement building, which is just pouring money into electing Democrats who will keep directing money to Planned Parenthood. Despite all these facts and despite Planned Parenthood's intense loyalty to the Democrat Party, a Republican Congress and Republican president just directed yet another half a billion dollars to Planned Parenthood to fund its abortion business. This is completely unacceptable. That all from Alexandra DeSanctis of National Review. Every single Republican that I'm aware of in the Congress is pro-life. I have not heard or seen a single one of them in the last 24 hours make, if they've made noise over this, not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. They do not have to fund Planned Parenthood. They do not. But they did. Why? Can't have a fight over this? Because we're going to lose a shutdown? At some point, we are making too many excuses under the guise of political calculation. And with Planned Parenthood, I think we are well beyond that. This is not, you know, can we fix DACA later or figure something out? This is a matter of urgency. It is now. It is every day. It is every passing hour. You can say, oh, Buck, well, they could continue with private donations. Yeah, they could. But what if it? What if that number of three hundred twenty-one thousand three hundred eighty-four was cut down by twenty or thirty percent? Think of how many lives that would be, and just as a, as a function of funding and access. How many lives would be saved? Seems seems more than worth it to me. But you know, a, a lot of Republican cowardice on display, especially on this issue. I think it's because they know that. The Republican who actually stands up and says he wants to do something about this, the elected representative who really wants to fight on this issue, the entire fire and fury of the left, pardon the expression, they've ruined that now with that book, but the entire venom of the progressive left will be brought to bear on that person. They'll, they will, nothing outrages Democrats now more than anyone who, who, who is not just talking tough about stopping abortions, but actually tries to do something about it. Um, anyway, so I, 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 see no, I see no excuse for this. I don't understand what they think the excuse is. Uh, and there is, there is shame here. There is shame in this. And uh, it's frustrating. It really is. All right, I want to I take some calls here because it is Friday and uh, I've been saying we would. Um Chuck in Virginia. Welcome, sir. Chuck? You there? Yeah, we're here. We hear you, buddy. What's up? Uh, I'm calling about this budget. Uh, and I listen to you say it, and I listen to the guy from Mississippi say it about the Republicans being fearful. They're not afraid. If they were, they wouldn't fund Planned Parenthood because I am ready to go to war with them over it. It's not pro-choice. It's killing babies. That's what's happening. And now my tax money again with the party that I have supported 
is going to kill babies. And I'm a religious man, and God clearly says that he hates the hands that shed innocent blood. And I'm to a point now where I'm almost ready to sign over all my property just to my wife and stop paying taxes. Let's see if the First Amendment will cover me. Because religiously, it's an abomination for my tax money, my money to be killing children that are unborn. All of our money is now. It's the last form of slavery in the United States. It is It they is all of our money now, no Chuck. Choice. You know, they're, they're, they're taking $500 million from taxpayers to do this under the pretense that it's for health care. It's a lie. It's a lie. I know you know it. I know it. But people need to hear it more. That is a lie. We are paying for that. We are paying for those procedures. But the real lie is that the Republicans are afraid. They're not afraid. The, the cabal, the... Well, it's, well I think the, the, I think the answer, Chuck, party. is actually, what, what are they afraid of? I think you're saying they're not afraid of their voters. And they're not afraid of, uh, you know, of selling us out and, and funding Planned Parenthood, right? And they're not afraid of continuing to spend in this out-of-control fashion. So... Yeah, they're I, the same as the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party and the inner circle of the Republican Party both want the same thing. I think they are way That's too close. Really they are too. They are too close for comfort. Chuck, I, I share your passion. I very much appreciate your call, and thank you for staying with us. Uh, Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hey, Paul. Hey, Buck. Shield tie. Shield tie. Hey, so a few weeks ago, I called you about game theory and the prisoner's dilemma and mm-hmm. Trump's successful use of tit for tat yeah. as a strategy. Well, I think Congress gave him a tat last night, and he did not give them the tit they deserved. Hmm. He didn't even show it to them. Did I just get beeped out? No, he didn't get beeped out, but I don't really understand. So what are you trying to say? I don't understand. He should, he should, have, he should have vetoed it. Oh, he should have vetoed. Yeah, yeah. They they challenged him. He should have given him a he should have given him a tit for the tat they gave him. It should have been tit for tat. Okay, let's let's use a different analogy or whatever. <laughs> let's not, let's not get yeah, too crazy yeah, yeah. with that one. Yeah, all right, well, Paul. The thing is, is okay. No, no, it's all right. Go ahead. You just you know. Well, well, I think that he's also kind of showing that he's totally ready to be in the Republican Rhino leadership. Because, like, instead of whining about the line item veto, he should have recognized that he had a, he has more tools than he says. Now, I'm sure that somebody told him he's got a pen, but maybe he doesn't realize he's also got a pocket, which I think the haberdasher Coolidge invented. Yeah, he could have well, done a pocket veto. Yeah, thank you for calling in, Paul. The, uh, by the way, I said 78 Reagan vetoes, correct, but that's if you add the, the general, uh, general veto to the pocket veto, right? It was like 36 and what were the numbers? 39-39. there we go. That was correct, by the way. Just just pulling that one out there, you know, just doing what I do. Uh, let's talk about some other stuff, though, here for a moment. We, we have uh, the possibility of changing some of the Senate rules so that you'll actually get nominees through. Uh, maybe going so-called nuclear option on this. I, I like that idea. We should, uh, The filibuster. Uh, we should talk about the filibuster when we come back. And then also we'll discuss this uh, terror attack in France. Uh, a reminder of the threat of the Islamic State that is still out there. And we've got a lot more stuff. We're going to switch it up a bit, though. So, uh, team, quick break coming, and we'll be right back. We have to get rid of the filibuster rule. 
and go to 51 votes in the Senate, if we're going to have really sustained, continued success. We have to get a lot of great legislation approved. And without the filibuster rule, it'll happen just like magic. He is 110% right about the filibuster. The filibuster is the root cause of this mess. There is a reason that it's just one giant, no one reads it, omnibus bill to fund everything in the government. And if you don't sign it, the whole government shuts down. It's because the minority party, and both parties have done it, threatens to filibuster each of the individual appropriation bills that are supposed to fund the government. Our system actually can work if it's not filibustered. But because you can get leverage over filibustering it one bill at a time so the government doesn't get its money, that the, the Department of Ag Agriculture gets its money, the Department of Commerce gets its money. Mm -hmm. If you don't do it one at a time, you can get leverage by holding the entire government funding hostage. And that's what the filibuster does. I agree. I think you got to get rid of the filibuster. I think that this is nonsense. What what ends up happening, and you've probably already seen some of this today, is that you have a you have a situation where now everyone's going to say, well, you know, we just need to elect more Republicans. Well, we also have to be realistic. You have a Republican House, Republican Senate, and a Republican president. You have a unified GOP government. If the if what we're going to be told now is, oh, sorry, it's not enough. We need to have super majorities and all, you know, no, that's not how this works. And that's not what's supposed to happen. That's not the way the Constitution set all this stuff up. You need super majorities to get anything done. Get rid of the filibuster. Absolutely. Get rid of it. It is, uh, it is abused and it is slowing things down. And no minority party should be able to do exactly what Ari Fleischer there, the former uh, White House press secretary under Bush, says they do, which is they'll just make sure you can't do it. So, yeah, I, I say get rid of it because I don't want to hear about how we need to, you know, if, if only we had more Republicans, then they'd finally get things done. Because remember, every time someone says that, I want to say, really, did we did we not repeal? A, or it wasn't even a full repeal, but did we not? Change Obamacare because we didn't have enough Republican votes? No, we just didn't have enough Republicans who would vote to do it. Remember last summer? Yeah, I remember it. I remember how that went down. Not that we needed more Republicans. We were more Republicans. We just needed more real ones. We're willing to stand and actually do something. So I get a little sick of the goalpost shifting and all the changing of uh, changing around with this stuff. Charlie in Ocean City, Maryland. Good to have you, sir. Hey, shield side, Buck. Shield side, Charlie. Hey, I was I was a little disappointed with the president not vetoing, but I think this weekend he's going to change his mind drastically because I guarantee you his Twitter account is blowing up. So wait, you think what will happen this weekend? His Twitter account will blow up. Meaning that he's going to... I, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not following you here. To, yep, people are going to tweet him of how they. Oh, he people are going to tweet at him about how they're unhappy. Yeah, okay. And I blame two people: K Street Ryan and H Street McConnell. Hmm. That's that's they're they're the drag on our. Party. But don't you think Trump should veto it to to force their hand? I mean the the. The oh, shut I wish he would. 
Last night when I went to bed, I was happy. Yeah, me too. I thought he was going to do it. it. Yeah, and then he didn't. And I thought, man, he could have knocked this thing out of the park. He could have made those rhinos come back and do their job. Man, I agree, Charlie. Thank you for calling in, my friend. Good to talk to you from Maryland. Uh, Team, I'm going to just bring you up to speed on what happened in France. There was a standoff, terrorist uh, inspired by ISIS. We'll get to that and more coming up. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared and ready for the buck brief. According to the local mayor who is speaking to the Reuters news agency, he says all those hostages have been released, but the gunman is now holding a police officer um, as hostage. So the hostage situation is ongoing, but the, the shoppers who are inside that supermarket have been released, and a police officer is that being held. That was earlier today, um, and that was a hostage situation that has actually been resolved in France, uh, resolved with the shooting of the terrorist, uh, the Islamic State inspired this terrorist i'll give you some of the details of it now just a reminder that uh, isis is still out there as a group but also as a as an ideology their propaganda often uses the phrase remains and expands the caliphate remains and expands and that is what they put out after this particular incident Uh, so you had a gunman named redwan lakdim he is a moroccan um, Moroccan national who moved to France, I believe, although he might have been born in France and you check on his nationality, originally of Moroccan descent. Um, he walked into a supermarket in uh, Tre- uh, Trebes in France and he took hostages. He killed a, a member of staff and a customer and then he uh, he seized hostages there. A local member of the police in France, a a gendarme named Lieutenant Colonel Arnaud Beltram, who was 44 years old, offered to take the place of a female hostage in the supermarket to swap himself for the female hostage. And so she she was able to get to safety unharmed. And the... uh, Lieutenant Colonel here, Beltram, the French gendarme, left his phone on so that law enforcement could hear exactly what was going on inside the supermarket during the hostage standoff. And then somehow it seems the uh, the terrorist perhaps became aware that the phone was on. Something happened and he started shooting the gendarme, hit him three times. He's now fighting for his life in the hospital. Uh, But once that shooting started with the. Uh, well, I'm sure they could hear it outside anyway, but he had the uh, the phone on him and law enforcement immediately swooped in and uh, eliminated uh, this terrorist gunman, Redwan Lakdim. So yet another jihadist incident. It, it's amazing, you know, on some of these news stories about it, 
they also have them in the Guardian. They have a, a whole rundown of the major ISIS-inspired terrorist attacks in France. And you have the, uh, the Kawachi brothers who gunned down 11 people at Charlie Hebdo magazine in January of 2015. A knife attack against soldiers guarding a Jewish community center in Nice in February 2015. A car attack in January 2016. A guy ran into four soldiers. A police officer and his partner were stabbed to death in the outskirts of Paris, June 2016. I mean, you, you, I you just keep reading down. Then you had the uh, the Bataclan massacre. You've had some very, uh, very horrific terror attacks in France in just the last couple of years, all ISIS-inspired or ISIS-directed. Um, and it, it is a reminder of the threat that we continue to face. The Islamic State has already claimed this attack, and they are saying, of course, there will be more. Not clear yet whether this uh, Redwan Lakhdim fellow was a member of the Islamic State, or just as the as ISIS propaganda calls it, a lion acting on behalf of uh, the Islamic State. Uh, but this is still very much out there, my friends, and uh, something we have to keep an eye on. One more thing that I have not touched on that this is reminding me of. It's not. It's really a separate story, but it has to do with what the uh, Turks have been up to in Syria. Uh, the Turks are engaged in military operations in northern Syria, clearing out areas held by our Kurdish allies who have been taking the fight to the Islamic State in the area of what was the caliphate. And we are hearing barely a peep about it in this country. And the Turkish government, led by Erdogan, who's really rather anti-American and and very problematic from our perspective, um, and and a despot in the making, if not a despot already, is saying that he's going to go into Iraq even and, and clear out Kurds from some of the areas or they have uh, retaking ground from the Islamic State in Iraq. This is a this is a big problem that we should all be more aware of. And the media silence on this. I mean, it is it is should be such an embarrassment that CNN just runs night after night, story after story about women claiming to have had affairs with Trump over a decade ago. Any number of stories more important than these. And beyond that, the Kurds are facing some really, uh, really dangerous situations in Syria on, on our behalf. And they are U.S. allies and have been for a long time, and, and we're not doing nearly enough for them. So you know, the, the news media is focused on some very superficial stuff that should not be getting anywhere near the uh, coverage and attention that it does. And it just frustrates me. I mean, here, here I am. I, as I'm literally talking to you, they've got, they've got Karen McDougal alleges affair with Trump on the screen again. CNN has turned into the, the, the Trump's alleged affairs channel. It was the Russia collusion channel. Now it's the Trump's alleged affairs channel. I mean, I really do think the place is a, is, is a disgrace now. Uh, it used to be that I, I didn't want to be affiliated with it because it had gone. Look, these channels change over time. and there's a, But they, they have just gone into the sewer over there. It was always left to center, but it, it used to be a place where you could have a debate and a discussion, maybe. And, and now it has uh, it has just lost it. It has lost it. Uh, I, I am I am appalled, even though I should expect it. I suppose. 
Anyway, that, but that's the update that I have for you on France. This uh, gendarme, very heroic stuff, and uh, more of what we expect from law enforcement uh, here and in our Western European allies, right? Putting themselves in harm's way and, and doing the right thing. Uh, 844-900-2825. If you want to chat with me, by all means, call 844-900-BUCK. We have a lot more uh, to get to, including a discussion later this hour of uh, David Hogg's latest. And we'll, we'll get to that. And third hour, I've got a couple of uh, wonderful authors who will be joining to talk about their latest books, including Peter Schweitzer, who's got a book on just how how brazen some of the corruption, the high-level corruption, including some Biden family members. What a shock. Uh, we'll get into that as well. So we've got much more coming. Stay with me. Vice President, do you care to respond to the president's tweet, sir? Oh, uh, no. No response? Would you really fight the president, sir? <laughs> I was talking about high school. Go back and read what I said. I said high school. Uh, apparently, uh, Biden's feeling the sting from the Trump tweet there a little bit. He sounded very aggravated with that uh, female reporter asking about the whole exchange with Trump. You know, I, I, I always say it. Uh, don't. Don't wrestle gators in the bayou. You know, don't try to don't try to mess with Trump on Twitter. You're going you're gonna get slapped down. I mean, you're going to get a. A buck slap extraordinaire, a Trump slap, if you will. And that is what happened with Biden. So he's backing off it. Uh, they're 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 delusional if they think that Biden really has a shot in 2020. I know people like to. You like to put these ideas out there and think, oh, yeah, Biden, you know, he's just Biden's just the guy to, to get the job done. A really, un, really unimpressive dude. Uh, not, nothing about him to, to write home about. Um, plus, people say he's he's a little creepy, a little, little bit. Of, it can be a little bit weirdo sometimes, a little creepy, a little, little touchy grabby in photos. I'm not just saying, I mean, do you see the photos? You're like, whoa. So there is there's that. Um, we'll have to see if. Biden learns his lesson. Then there's also, by the way, um, Bannon making an appearance these days. Here's what uh, here's what Mr. Bannon had to say in the news cycle this week. John Dowd's a good man, and I think that's why essentially more aggressive attorneys got brought in that are now, you know, I think President Trump's going to war. I, I think it's very obvious he's going to go to war in this. This is about John Dowd leaving, who was Trump's chief counsel in the whole Russia collusion matter. And... We now see that uh, it looks at least like Trump doesn't want to take the advice of I'm not going to testify before Mueller. He's he's going to do it, which I got to say, I think is probably a bad idea. But, you know, what do I know? I can't pardon myself. So Trump may want he's lining up for a very uh, aggressive approach on a number of fronts. Bolton now as his. National Security Advisor. By the way, you think this stuff about firing Carson was true? I saw those reports today that he was going to fire Ben Carson. I don't know over over a thirty thousand dollar dinette set. That's expensive. I get my dinette sets off of Amazon. I'm not a I'm not a fancy guy. The odds aren't in his favor. The odds are not in his favor. If you're when we look at that chart of all the different people who have left this administration, you're like, 
whoa, this is this is like an NFL team of people that are very senior uh, who have left the administration in terms of how many people there are. It's been been very uh, very substantial. Yeah, so Dowd dropped uh, dropped out of being Trump's chief counsel. People say it's because Trump doesn't want to take a cautious approach. He he wants, as Bannon said, I think Bannon might be right about this one. That Trump wants to go to war with Mueller. That'll be interesting. I don't. I, I have no idea how that's going to shake out. I don't think anybody does. Um, it will be, it will be entertaining though. That much is for sure. Brent in New Mexico, you've been very patient and on hold. How you doing, Brent? Hey, Bob. Shield tie, man. Shield tie. Now, my point is, is uh, this is entirely irresponsible. And you know, I didn't vote for, I didn't vote for Trump in the, uh, in the primaries, but. I've stood by him through this stuff because I'm looking at actionable results. And I'll put up with all of this other crap, you know what I mean, all of this, the shenanigans and stuff. But this is important to me, you know what I mean? As, as a husband, I can't go to my wife and say, well, I paid the mortgage, but I spent the rest of my paycheck on a Peyton Manning jersey and a box of beer, you know what I mean? But don't worry about it. Little Susie's going to take care of it on the credit card when I die. You know what I mean? This is important stuff to me, and you know, we're standing in front of him taking the arrows, but he starts signing stuff like this. Congress is definitely in trouble. Everybody's pissed, man. This is not good. Yeah, I think it's a big problem because there's not going to be a better opportunity in the future. And I, I've gotten very tired. This discussion with Republicans and tackling the debt has been going on in earnest. Well, you could say for decades, but ever since the Tea Party, this is supposed to be something that conservatives in America understand and are united on. And we keep getting told by the Republican Congress, next time we'll fight. Next time we'll fight. Uh, Well, at what point is it clear that it's just never, it's not next time, it's never time. It's not going to happen. No, I'm definitely, my congressman's in deep trouble here. You know, I've been to the town halls and stuff, and I've heard the whole same drum over and over and over again. And I guarantee he voted for it. And People are fed up, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, and I, I understand why they are. I, mean, I, I can't tell them, I can't tell them this is a good thing. You know, I, I come here, I tell you guys the truth. This is not uh, what should have happened here. Trump should have vetoed it, forced their hand. You know, if they lose a shutdown battle, fine. The midterms are far, are long ways away. There's plenty of time to regroup. Brent, thanks for calling from New Mexico. Shields high. Plenty of time to regroup. Uh, they, they keep pushing this as though, oh, you know, national security. They gave more. There's more money spent for the military. Than Trump even even asked for. As a matter of national security, I've signed this omnibus budget bill. There are a lot of things that I'm unhappy about in this bill. There are a lot of things that we shouldn't have had in this bill, but we were, in a sense, forced. If we want to build our military, we were forced to have. There are some things that we should have in the bill. But I say to Congress, I will never sign another bill like this again. I'm not going to do it again. Nobody read it. It's only hours old. Some people don't even know what it is. $1.3 trillion. It's the second largest ever. President Obama signed one that was actually larger. Yep. It's $1.3 trillion. All right. I played a, a Fleischer clip before for you, by the way. He also spoke about the military aspect of this bill. I, I wanted to play this in the last hour. I didn't get to it, so I just wanted to return for one second here. Uh, the benefits the president had today in being able to create the suspense. He brought people's attention to the problems of military cutbacks and how dire it has been. 
But remember, it only got that way because the two parties couldn't agree on spending initiatives before. So by default, they set up this system of draconian cuts in both domestic and military spending. Those draconian cuts actually went through in 2011, and now they're undone here in 2018. It went too far in terms of the military. Um, so if you were pro-military, it, it, it's a good day to see it signed. as pro-military as anybody i i have a tough time accepting the the uh fleischer analysis here on this the, calling them draconian cuts i remember it was called the sequester you guys all remember that the sequester and it was a decrease in the increase in spending it was not actually really much of a cut of anything so it's we're going to spend you know this much more than we're already spending in the future. Well, now we're going to spend a little less of the what we're of the increase of what we're planning to spend in the future. We're we're told things. I heard Trump today say, "Oh, we've got fewer uh, surface ships in the Navy." Well, it's not really comparable to say that a uh, you know a, a Nimitz class carrier should be counted the same way as you know a, a couple of. 1940s era battleships right we, we can do a lot more with it and I, I don't i don't see this as the the victory that people are saying it is i see it as uh pretty pretty disconcerting really when, when are we going to have the fight when are we going to have that fight over obamacare everyone when are we going to have the fight over immigration and when i say have the fight i mean the the dust up that will happen when they take Real action. Hey, we got Kenny in Boston who thinks this is all calculated. Kenny, good to talk to you. Hi, Buck. How you doing? You went to Amherst College. I went to UMass Amherst. I think I was there when you were there. But anyway, I need to ask you, since you went to Amherst College, you play chess, right? Yeah, of course. All, all us Amherst nerds play chess. <laughs> of course. Well, I play chess, and I play pretty good. I had a friend of mine who everyone, all of the other friends, thought was adult. You know, he was stupid stuff. Well, when he played chess, he would make some seemingly the stupidest move you could ever. Oh, my God, what an idiot. But you know what? He ends up winning the match. And I'm wondering if Trump's uh, signing of this bill has something to do with that. Um, certainly his uh, changes of staff and attorneys probably does. I mean, uh you know, this make in other words, make it look like, oh my God, he's going to go to war. He's going to he's going to uh, fire uh, Mueller, but in reality, he isn't. In other words, it's a it's a it's a diversion of sorts. And that's Kenny, about- I, I I hope you're right. I hope that uh, this has been a thing for a long time. I hope that Trump is playing the proverbial 4D chess that everyone's been talking about for a long time. We'll have to see. Thanks for calling in from Boston, my friend. Have a good weekend up there. By the way, is this supposed to is this supposed to snow on this Sunday again? No. I heard that. That's a bad rumor. Don't don't let me start that rumor today. Oh, wait, one thing before we go on the break. Today's today's National Puppy Day. Yay. That should make everyone happy. I should go get a puppy this weekend, because I love puppy. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I think the president is assembling a war cabinet. To actually have a real war, he's got John Bolton. And the only question is, will we find ourselves in a military conflict vis-a-vis North Korea or Iran or both? We are going to be in for a very uh, rough, if not calamitous, time ahead. Nominate a war hawk as your third national security advisor in 14 months. John Bolton 
being national security advisor, will push the president and the nation in a more dangerous course. He's a hawk on North Korea. Mm -hmm. I think it raises the stakes for uh, military action around the world. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's a warmonger. He has no problem thinking about starting a war. There you have a, a bit of the media reaction to Ambassador uh, Bolton, or as CNN refers to him, a guy who sometimes appears on Fox News. Uh, but you had M- Ambassador Bolton is has got them all very upset now. Uh, they're all they're all very much bothered by the fact that Trump has a a war hawk. And, you know, he's the the national security advisor. Okay, and what we need to understand is that the the first of all the media's response to anything national security related after the eight years of of Obamaism, we remember Obama escalated dramatically U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Not a peep, not a peep from the media about that being warmongering or anything else. And I would note that he it's not like he escalated and said, we're going to win. We have a debt to the Afghan people that we're going to pay here or, you know, whatever we've got. And we've made a promise. We're going to honor it. No, no. He says, you know, we're going to we're going to search. We're going to put more troops and then they're going to come home on exactly this time. So Taliban, you just need to wait. You need to wait a bit. You know, the Taliban was very capable of just laying low for a bit while we had a surge in place. Yeah, they fought over some areas. I understand that. But truth of the matter is that surging at the same time that you're saying you're going to withdraw is is letting domestic politics determine battlefield considerations. And that is what the Obama administration did. But they didn't even criticize him for being a warmonger. Right now you're hearing this, which is such a such a pejorative and unfair and uh, nasty way to describe a guy who has been a been in this era of uh, national security, this area of national security and and, and diplomatic service for decades. Um, people are saying that they should be terrified, horrified. Uh, Bolton is dangerous. All this stuff. You know, I, I will. I want to give some credit to. Uh, David French, who's, you know, we have him on the show. I, I like David. He's a very, very good writer and a good guy. Uh, he's written a great piece on Bolton. He says, Bolton's not crazy. The world is. And what we saw, one of the things we saw from the Obama years is that sitting back and thinking that doing nothing is some brilliant policy is actually dangerous. That watching Syria descend into an, ab, an absolute hellhole which I know we shouldn't have landed the 82nd Airborne and decided to take over the country. I'm not advocating for that. But there was basically nothing done. And as we see from what Trump has done now to defeat the Islamic State, there are ways to do things there without a lot of U.S. casualties, without a lot of U.S. risks that would have slowed down or stopped ISIS from becoming the monstrosity that it was that would have saved thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of lives that would have stopped terror attacks in Europe and here at home. Remember, the Islamic State became this clarion call to jihadism because of its success and because or its perceived success. Right. That was why people would self-radicalize and take it upon themselves to be jihadis without any formal training of any kind, because they wanted to they, they were ideologically aligned with this notion of a caliphate overseas. Obama did very little on North Korea. 
The situation of North Korean nukes and the possibility of nuclear proliferation and missile proliferation technology got worse for eight years under Obama. These things got worse. So why is it that we are in this position where we have to pretend that having somebody who takes a more aggressive approach to these foreign policy problems by aggressive? I mean, not just sit back, relax and let the good times roll, you know, let things happen. That was what Obama did. That was what his people, that was what Susan, Susan Rice's approach, except in Libya, where for reasons that still remain kind of, huh? Under R2P, responsibility to protect in Libya, that was the doctrine, that was Samantha Power, that was Susan Rice. They built careers on that. Under that premise, we intervened in Libya, but not in Syria. Why? Because... That was the decision that they made. And Libya became a failed state and a disaster afterwards, and also a haven for the Islamic State. In fact, for a while, the only place that ISIS really controlled territory in any meaningful sense uh, was Iraq, the Iraq-Syria corridor, the original one, and then on the coast of Libya. So this notion that Things were great under Obama's for I mean, Obama's foreign policy was failure. You looked at a place in the world. You looked at any spot on a map where there was trouble. You look at a hot spot where people are shooting each other. Bad things are happening. It got worse under Obama's years. Any problem, any national security challenge, it got worse under the eight years of Obama. And look at the people that he had around him. Samantha Power, you know, very, very much a humanitarian internationalist. Uh, Susan Rice, same thing, humanitarian internationalist. Hillary Clinton, a cold, bloodless, self-indulgent, self-gratifying, frightening human being. I mean, you know, but I guess technically uh, supposed to be a technocrat. Uh, they were unable to do it. John Kerry. Oh, yeah, John Kerry. He's a model for the peace process. Couldn't even get in the door. But they're all free. Oh, John, John Bolton's going to lead us in the war. This is just... This is just for ratings on TV, folks. There's no there's no honesty in this. There's no truth behind it at all. Bolton is more than qualified for the role. He'll do a very good job. And he understands the world's a dangerous place and is going to approach it as such. And maybe that's what makes the left so upset about him. All right, we've got uh, we've got to talk about David Hogg coming up here. Got more. Stay with me. One more about school. Uh, you mentioned your backpack. What do they do with your backpacks? There were, I think after we come back from spring break, they're requiring all of us to have clear backpacks. I think one of the most important, one of the other important things to realize is many students want their privacy. There, there are many, um, for example, females at our school, when they, ha- when they go through their menstrual cycle, they, they don't want people to see their tampons and stuff. And I've, it, it, it's just, um, it's unnecessary. It's embarrassing for a lot of the students, and it makes them feel isolated and separated from the rest of American school culture, where they're having essentially their First Amendment rights infringed upon because they can't freely wear whatever backpack they want, regardless of what it is. It has to be a clear backpack. What we should have is just more policies that make sure that these students are feeling safe and secure in their schools. So that's David Hogg, the single most uh, prominent member of the Never Again student movement against school violence. Uh, but it's really against guns. So let's understand that it's decided that uh, it has decided that guns are the problem. 
But here you have a, what is he, 18, by the way? Is he 18? He's 18. So you have a teenager who has been thrust forward by the national media. He's now got a huge social media following. Anderson Cooper has him on. Rachel Maddow, we played it last night. She's like, I'm starstruck by some of the Never Again people. I mean, she's literally pandering to these kids because in doing so, Maddow panders to her audience. And here he is. After telling us all that if you won't abandon the Second Amendment, you don't care about dead kids. Now he's all like, whoa, whoa, you can't mess with high school backpack choices. This isn't North Korea, man. It's like, well, exactly. You either understand that there are trade-offs for some of these security measures, or or you're just being dishonest. You know, he's saying, and I would note, his claim here is that he there's a first amendment right to not have a first amendment right in school to have the kind of backpack you want. And I would be like, well first of all, there is a second amendment right to bear arms. And I do not think that there is a first amendment right to carry whatever kind of parcel you want into school as a means of expression. So I think his constitutional jurisprudence needs quite a bit of work, needs quite a bit of additional thinking here. But this is par for the course none of this surprises me that you have this kid going around grandstanding and the stuff he said yesterday which we played for you was just absolutely was absolutely terrible uh should be discrediting uh, but how do you discredit somebody who whenever he shows you who he is the response is oh but he's he's just a kid and he's a victim and he's trying to save other kids Why do you hate kids so much? How much of a slander, how much nastiness um, do we have to accept from this kid? I mean, remember, this is a reminder. All right. This is he's going around giving interviews. Anderson, by the way, I was an employee at CNN for two years. Anderson Cooper's people never wanted to have me on the show. Why? I don't know. Probably because I take everybody to school. It is buck slaps aplenty. But nonetheless, They put this kid on, though, to spew a bunch of nonsense, and here's what he sounds like in some of his interviews. They're pathetic that want to keep killing our children. They could have blood from children spattered all over their faces, and they wouldn't take action. When your old-ass parent's like, I don't know how to send an iMessage, and you're just like, give me the phone, and you take him, you're like, okay, let me handle it, and you get it done in one second. Sadly, that's what we have to do with our government, because our parents don't know how to use a democracy, so we have to. We think what sick are out there that want to continue to sell more guns, murder more children, and honestly just get reelected. Where, what type of person are you when you want to see more money than children's lives? This kid's How, an what idiot. type of person does that? He's not. He's not even a smart teenager. He's actually just not smart, and he's disrespectful. So that's why I'm. I'm. I've had enough of this. Uh, I'm not playing. the like, oh, but be nice to them because of you know they're, they're they're traumatized. There are a lot of kids are traumatized. By the way, CNN was supposed to have on um, Kyle. Kyle. Uh, Kashuv, right? I'm, I might might be mispronouncing his last name, but he's one of the Parkland survivors uh, who takes a very different tone and approach to these things. And CNN was supposed to have him on, and they canceled him. And they were going to have him on a month afterwards, right? So the the impact of his appearance would be much less than what we've already had with the Parkland kids. Kyle Kashuv, right? Yeah. Pfft. Even when I think I'm wrong, I'm right. And they they uh canceled on him and this is from his twitter account by the way they canceled on kyle because he had retweeted something where someone referred to a cnn story as fake news 
So they invited this kid on, and then because of that, they got rid of him. Notice how no one's going to cancel any media appearances for David Hogg, even though he's, he's saying, I, I played you the audio, he's saying explicitly that the NRA is going to keep killing children. Going to keep killing children. The NRA didn't kill anybody. The NRA is going to keep killing children. He's cursing. and I mean, some of the other things, by the way, that your, your, your old-ass parents don't know how to use, and also that parents don't know how to use democracy. No, actually, you disrespectful little ingrate. People who are older than you know a lot more about democracy. And we live in a republic, which is a distinction that I doubt he'd be able to grasp, even if I tried to explain it. But nonetheless, this is who is being held up now by the left as some kind of uh, uh, a sage on the issue of gun control and stopping violence in schools. This is all just mobilization because progressivism has become a fashion statement. It is an identity, as much if not more so than it is a system of political beliefs. Progressivism is something that you sign on for because of what it says about you, not for what it means for the country, and not really for the policies that it implements either. You want to be a progressive now because that's what the smart, cool, nice people are, the good people, not the mean, white, Christian, racist people. That's what the Republicans are. This is what it's turned into. And pop culture has just become a megaphone for this and has been for a long time. But the the complete lack of respect that some of these uh, never again kids and I even told you, I think it's disrespectful that they've appropriated a term. And I, yeah, that's right. I'll say it. Appropriation borrow from the leftist lexicon. They've appropriated a term meant to mean no more genocide from the Holocaust. And they're saying that this is. This is not a holocaust. We do not have a holocaust of children in school violence going on. We do not. We have isolated incidents over a period of decades of despicable, evil, cowardly violence in a society of 320 million people. And we have fewer of them, if you look at the long-term trend now, than we had in the 90s. So it's actually going down. It's not the problem that people have been led to believe it is in recent months. But I know we're not supposed to say this. we're not not supposed to push back on Mr. Mr. Hogg's uh, nonsense here. I mean, he is an adult, right? So, you know, he, if he's putting on big boy pants and wants to be on the national stage and wants to call other people murderers, which is really borderline uh, slanderous. I, I think that once you start referring to people as murderers when they've killed no one, that's a that's a bit of a now you'd say the NRA is an organization. And he's I understand there's a First Amendment argument there, but I'm just saying it is pushing the limits it is pushing the limits of free speech and moving toward character assassination, which is really what this whole outfit is about. And I've seen this before with the left. This is how they do things. This is how they engage with these movements. They try to put uh, either sympathetic, usually sympathetic victims at the front of a movement, and then everyone around it gets to just be the apparatus of the Democrat Party, the Democrat left in action, pushing for whatever they want. And whenever they meet resistance, they go, oh, what up here? Here's, you know, they're, they're, they're hiding behind the skirt, so to speak, of the vanguard here. You know, oh, I don't want to fight. I don't want to, you know, no, you be mean to those people, the victims. They won't engage in the battle of ideas. So anyway, this hog kid, I'm, I'm, I'm done with being patient with the whole thing. He's acting, he's acting like a child. He is. So maybe we could all agree that that's, that's to be expected here. But that's why CNN should not make a mockery of itself by giving a platform to a high school kid who is acting poorly even for a high school kid.
All right, we've got hour three coming up here with uh, Peter Schweitzer. He's got a really interesting book out about how corruption in this country for the elites really works. Uh, Peter is the guy from, he's the Clinton Cash author. He's the throw them, uh, throw them all out about how, I still tell people this and they don't believe me. And I'm like, I used, I had Peter on my show when I did Real News with the Blaze years ago when I was part of a Real News. I was one of the, the hosts. And we'd have Peter on, and he told about how insider trading, Congress exempted itself from insider trading laws. I, you know, you can't make this stuff up. People go, no way, Buck. Oh, no, that way, dude, way. It is, in fact, what they did. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's great. You'll like that. And we've got Kristen Tate as well, who's a, uh, an up-and-coming author. You see her on Fox News sometimes. Real nice lady. She's written about taxes, which I hate, and we're going to bash taxes together. So that's going to be fun. Hour three coming up in just a few. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. All right, everybody, we have... An author with us now who's got a fantastic new book that you are all going to want to hear about and read. Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends. The author is Peter Schweitzer. He's an investigative journalist, novelist, and political consultant. And Peter, thank you so much for joining. Great to have you. Hey, great to be on with you, Buck. Thanks for having me. All right, walk us through, Peter. What do you, what do, you deal with this time around? <laughs> Well, look, um, uh, corruption is an ever-changing, evolving thing. And, and when most people think of corruption, they think of, you know, Congressman Jefferson, who had the $90,000 cash in his freezer, you know, cold, hard cash Jefferson, they called him. Um, well, that's the old school corruption. Uh, the new school is what I call offshoring corruption. Uh, they don't take the money themselves. They funnel the money through family members or maybe a best friend. And the amounts of money are astronomically uh, larger. Uh, than say ninety thousand dollars, and they oftentimes involve you know foreign entities like the government of China or you know Ukrainian oligarchs who want to curry favor with American decision makers. So this is the new frontier of corruption. Uh, the amounts of money are large, and uh, it's it's really not just about politicians getting rich. It's actually warping our policies. Now you have to tell us, Peter, about some of the actual case studies you deal with in the book, because that certainly this all sounds like stuff that people need to hear. Well, yes. Thanks, Bucks. Um, so one example um, uh, that's in the book uh, involves uh, Joe Biden. Uh, and in December of 2013... Wait, blue-collar Biden... Joe? No way! <laughs> yeah, this one surprises a lot of people because they may have the criticisms of Biden, but they don't think for, uh, financial impropriety fits into it. But, you know, he's vice president. In December of 2013, he flies over on Air Force Two uh, to Beijing to meet with Chinese officials to talk to them about the South China Sea, trade issues technology transfer, you name it. Uh, on, him, on the plane with him uh, is uh, his son, Hunter Biden. Uh, now, Joe Biden is criticized uh, when he leaves Beijing by a lot of people in the region for going soft on China. Uh, and what we find is that 10 days after they leave Beijing, his son, who is on the trip with him, scores a $1 billion investment deal with the Chinese government. Not with the Chinese company, but with the Chinese government. 
And what makes this troubling, Buck, is that not only is it the Chinese government um, giving this large deal to the son of the vice president with whom they're negotiating, but Hunter Biden has absolutely no background in private equity whatsoever. There's no logical explanation at all as to why he got this money other than the Chinese were seeking to pay off the Bidens. How is that not criminal? I mean, is there some kind of carve out here that he was abusing or is this just people don't know about it? Well, it's uh, people don't know about it. I mean, this this was a, a story that took us about a year to research. Uh, you know, we follow the money, and we've got the corporate documents. We've got photographs of Hunter Biden uh, on Chinese-language government websites where he's meeting with the Chinese officials discussing these deals. So people don't know about them. Um, that's the first thing. And the problem is, Buck, we've got disclosure laws in our country, but they don't deal with this kind of corruption. So, you know, take uh, Joe Biden. When he's vice president, he has to disclose you know, a $1,000 campaign contribution. If he's got $1,000 in GE stock, he needs to disclose that too. But if his son scores a billion-dollar deal from a foreign government, that's not required to be disclosed. So one of the things I call for is we've got to have transparency on the kinds of deals that family members of politicians are engaging in with foreign governments. Don't the doesn't that apply for spouses? Because I, I remember when the former governor of Virginia, uh, Bob McDonnell, was brought up not on state but federal corruption charges, eventually thrown uh, overturned uh, by the Supreme Court, by the way, for everyone listening. Uh, and at the time, I said it looked like they were overreaching. They went after his wife for yeah. accepting gifts as yeah, though she this- were a public official guilty of corruption, too, although she held no office. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point, Buck. Look, a bribery, if you're charging somebody with bribery, it makes no difference if you're giving it to the politician or if you're giving it to a family member in exchange for something. The law sees both of those as bribery. So just because money or a deal is routed through Hunter Biden instead of going directly to Joe Biden, it does not make it any less uh, bribery. It's, you know, proving that in a court of law. You've got to uh, try to show some level of a quid pro quo or a trade-off that was done. And, you know, the, the, these politicians are very sophisticated about this. They, 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 they're never or rarely going to explicitly say, you know, you give me this and I'll give you that. But it's implied and it's noticed. And, and in the case of Biden, there were actually three major deals that his son uh, did with the Chinese government. Some of those deals involved uh, the son of or the stepson of John Kerry and a close Kerry aide uh, named Devin Archer. So the the Chinese really, I would argue, uh, did a uh, amazingly damaging job uh, of subverting our political leadership between 2013 and 2016 when it came to our diplomacy with with China because they were essentially, you know, funneling money to family members and getting them to go soft on Chinese policy. Just as an aside, I've been saying for for a while now that it, it's fascinating to watch the media get so uh, angry about all things Russia and somehow never see any kind of uh, ominous similarities with what the Chinese are doing in terms of buying off people, influence, influence purchasing, not really influence peddling, all the things the Chinese are up to. uh, But that's an aside. I I want to ask you, do you have anything on Russia specifically in the book? 
Uh, not so much Russia, but Ukraine. Okay, uh, close and, enough. And, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I hate to pick on Hunter Biden, but again, it's Hunter Biden and this uh, uh, Carrie aide uh, named Devin Archer, who uh, become business partners uh, with a guy named Igor Kolomoski, who is really the most notorious of the Ukrainian oligarchs. And as you know, Buck, to say that somebody is the most notorious Ukrainian oligarch, that, that is quite an accomplishment. He's beaten out some competition, for sure. <laughs> exactly. But, um, you know, they, they strike a deal with him. We don't know how much money they made, but you can imagine it's quite a bit. They're not going to throw their name around and associate with somebody like that. But here's the problem. So they go into business with Igor Kolomoski. Kolomoski owns Privat Bank in the Ukraine, through which the Obama administration, led by Joe Biden, uh, sends $1.8 billion in IMF money, a billion of which disappears. And a lot of Ukrainians believe that Igor Kolomoski had something to do with that money disappearing. So you've got this bizarre situation of somebody who allegedly is involved in the disappearance of a billion dollars in taxpayer money, whose business partners with the son of the vice president and a close associate of the secretary of state. Um, and, and this is just how this business gets done. And, and you know, it's, it's got to be exposed and it's got to be challenged. We're speaking to Peter Schweitzer. He's the author of the fantastic Clinton Cash, which I have read cover to cover, and also his latest, Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends. It is in my hand right now. It is also in my read pile. Uh, Peter, tell me just somebody that's not a Biden who you or some <laughs> other uh, some other component of this story you want to share before we let you get back to the rest of your book tour. Well, I would say the other uh, example involving China would be uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, and his Uh-oh. wife, Elaine Chao. Um, you know, her uh, her family uh, has a long history um, in China, which there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is that their business is, is really tied up with the China State Shipbuilding Corporation, which is uh, a Chinese government-run company, which is also uh, really the largest military contractor in Beijing. Um, and uh, that company, that entity has helped make the family very wealthy. And, and some of that money has flowed to uh, Mitch McConnell. So it's a question, again, of the, the Chinese pursuit doing this policy, what I call the princelings strategy. We've heard of the Chinese princelings, which are the children of Communist Party officials that you do business with to curry favor in Beijing. They are mirroring that. They are doing that in the United States and seeking out commercial ties with the family members of American politicians and hoping that it's going to bend or shape our policy in a more favorable direction for themselves. This would all have to be prosecuted by DOJ anti-corruption. Is that right? I mean, who, who does this who could do something about this? Well, you know, the first thing you would want to do is you would want to investigate any communication, any favors or things that might have been offered in these cases. We just don't know. What, what we've done is follow the paper trail. We know the timing of these transactions. We know the nature of them. We know who they did them with. And that's troubling enough. So it's got to be investigated. And then if, uh, you know, a grand jury or prosecutors believe something could be prosecuted, it would be the Department of Justice that would do it on public corruption charges. Based on what you know of of the law around this issue right now, Peter, if if I were a uh, let's say I, I were the governor of a state and or no, let's have more fun. If I were the president and my wife decided that she were the first lady, who, by the way, is very lovely, very talented. Uh, and in this fictional story we're telling. And if she decided she were an artist and she were going to start selling her paintings in the open market, uh, 
Chinese government, Chinese investors, any number, if they started paying a whole lot of money for them, but they couldn't prove that I did a, a quid pro quo, would I be in, in, uh, in the clear in terms of corruption? Yeah, you probably would. I mean, that's the problem within uh, one of the things. Because to I me, that's what Hillary Clinton's speeches were, by the way. That's just yeah, what I'm no, trying to think exactly. of. Or Bill Clinton's speeches, rather, when Hillary was Secretary of State. That's exactly right. Um, his speaking fees went up threefold the day she became Secretary of State from foreign entities. So you're exactly right. Yes, I mean, look, the, the challenge in all of this is the way that the laws are written. Think about this. We have a Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which ensnared J.P. Morgan, because J.P. Morgan was hiring the children of Communist Party officials in China to get favorable treatment there. They were charged under federal law and paid a $300 million fine. That's the Foreign Corrupt Practice Act. If a Chinese company does the same thing in the United States, that is hire the children of American politicians, that's not against the law. How crazy is that? We have laws that prevent American companies, I think rightfully so, from doing that in China. But foreign companies and foreign governments can do that in the United States, and there's no law against it. So I, th I think we need to change the laws as well. Peter Schweitzer is the author, everybody. His book, Secret Empires, how the American political class hides corruption and enriches family and friends is out. I am 100% going to read it. You should, too. It's on Amazon.com. Peter, thank you so much for your work, and thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Buck. I appreciate it. Good luck with everything with the book. All right, team, we're going to run into a, a quick break here. We actually have another author who's going to be joining us here for a second. It's, it's Book Friday, everybody. It's a party. Uh, we're going to come back and be joined by uh, Kristen Tate in just a few minutes. She's going to talk to us about invisible taxes. Get excited. All right, so we have Kristen Tate with us now. She is a political columnist and author. She writes a weekly opinion column for The Hill, which is a fantastic website you should all check out. She also appears on Fox, CNN, and MSNBC. She's got a new book, though, which is why we have her joining us right now. How do I tax thee? Let me count the ways. Kristen, great to have you. So good to be here. Thanks for having me on. All right, so tell me, how doth thou taxeth me? <laughs> Well, okay, taxation is such a hot political topic right now, right? Uh, but when we have these discussions about taxation, we tend to focus on income taxes. But what a lot of Americans don't understand is that income taxes make up less than half of our personal tax burden. There are hidden taxes embedded in nearly everything we do, every bill we pay, every activity, every purchase. So I wrote, How Do I Tax Thee, to expose all of the other ways that various levels of government are siphoning money out of our bank accounts into city coffers. All right, give us some of the most egregious ones. Well, I think the most offensive are probably the taxes in our cell phone and electric bills, just because almost everybody needs to have those services. So it's something that affects everybody. In New York City, which is where we live, there's uh, 25 percent taxes on electric bills. That's a huge amount of money. Uh, and the taxes are not being put to good use. For example, in every electric bill, there's something called a 911 fee. Well, one would assume that a 911 fee would go towards emergency services, right? 
Well, that's what they used to go to when the fees were created in the 1990s. And then upgrades to the, to the emergency services were completed, but they kept the 911 fees in the electric bills. And now they're just funneled into the general fund where the city or state can spend it however they please. So there are lots of these fees that make up 25% of our electric bills. Likewise, cell phone bills are about 27% taxes. And again, the taxes are not usually put to good use. They're usually funneled into general funds. So I, I would say that those are the most offensive just because they affect everyone. And of course, these taxes hurt the poor more than they hurt the rich. But then there are like weird hidden taxes, too, that may not be as costly, but they're just sort of weird. Like, for example, pet license fees. Uh, do you have a dog, Buck? My parents do. So they pay a pet license fee? That's yeah, just wrong. So when you when you um when you adopt a dog, you have to pay this thing to the government called a pet license fee, and you kind of assume that the fee goes towards something to help animals, like animal shelters or something. But really, it's just a penalty for saving a dog. Oh my gosh, that's costly. terrible! They're penalizing yeah, you, you for saving a pup pup. Year. Yes, and every year you have to renew this license. And you know what's crazy? If you don't renew your pet license fee in most parts of the country it's a misdemeanor so there are real stories of people being arrested for refusing to renew their pet license i feel like if i had a pet wallaby maybe i gotta pay a license just because i'm i'm you know i'm skating outside the edges a little bit but uh, <laughs> but saving a pet puppy to me that's like what you're or and i say puppy just meaning any dog but i right. feel like we're always told that you know adopt don't shop and all that stuff well the government's taking a penny out of your pocket, whether you adopt or shop. Right. And in most parts of the country, the money from the pet license fee does not go towards helping dogs. It does in some parts of the country, but in most it does not. It is just a sheer penalty for helping adopt a dog. That's it. To, to folks listening right now, Kristen, and we're speaking to Kristen Tate. She's an author. Her latest book is How Do I Tax Thee, which is just out now. Uh, for people who live in, say, uh, a state like Texas, right, where they have no no state income tax, but they've got to pay uh, property taxes if they own property. But w- what is the additional uh, hidden tax bill that you're paying? Have you been able to compile some sense of what those numbers would be? So if you're somebody who's paying 25% of your income to the government right now, let's just say, do these non-income-based taxes, when you add them together, is it another 10%, 15%? Give us any sense of that? It's actually far more than that. So the Heartland Institute did a study that showed when you add these self-taxes to your income tax, the average American is paying around 50% of their income to the government. Now, of course, that can vary greatly. Some people don't pay income taxes because they get their earned income tax credits. But for the average American, they're paying about half of what they make to the government. And this should really terrify people, Buck, because think about it. If the government is profiting more off of your labor than you are, I mean, that's socialism right there. And how do we fix it, Kristen? We've only got about 30 seconds or so, but what's what's the quick version, the elevator pitch to fix? Well, my book shows people how to kind of alter their spending habits to avoid some of these hidden taxes because it is possible to save a little more money with different spending habits. But I also want to stress that most of these taxes are implemented on the state or local level. So it's pretty easy to get rid of them. We just need to be aware that they're there and then we can hold our politicians accountable. See, everybody, the the book pays for itself, literally, because you'll learn how to get out of some (laughs) of these taxes. How do I tax thee is the book. Kristen Tate is the author. 
Kristen, great to have you hanging out in the Freedom Hub. Please come back soon, and best of luck with the book. Thank you so much, Buck. I love joining your show. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Team, we're going to roll into a break. We'll be right back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. I want to introduce this next clip with a proviso, uh, with some prefacing here. I, I don't know if it is actually from the news cycle. I saw it on a Barstool Sports feed. So Barstool Sports is uh, obviously... About sport, I don't know much about it. It's about sports. It's like a website, and it's making the rounds. It's gone. It's gone viral. And here's what I know about the clip. And I don't know if it's recent or not. I I can't tell you the promise. I do know it was on Good Morning America, and Barstool Sports shared this under the headline that it, that this gentleman is pro. It's quite possibly the greatest storyteller of our generation. So I immediately had to to look at this. And before we go off the weekends, I wanted to share something special with you. So this falls into that category. The segment is about burglaries and and home invasions and what you can do during it. And GMA approaches this gentleman, and he has a story about about being at home when a burglar comes in. So that that would be a home invasion. And he proceeds with with tremendous flair and and skillful or the, the skills of a raconteur to share what it was like when he heard a burglar. Remember, this was on Good Morning America. Play it, please. Yeah, and see, that's what the problem was. Because I heard him first. I said, hold on. I said, hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. Because then I start to taste them. I say, and then I start to smell them. So it's like a smell that tastes like other. So I knew something was wrong. I knew something special about it. You know, so so what did you do when you heard the intruder? I ran upstairs. I had to run, and I had to do what that little girl. What's that little girl? Uh, in the Holocaust, she had a uh, she with Anne Hathaway, Aunt Frank, Frank and Beverly, and Frank. That's a hot. I had to get up the stairs. So he had so much rhythm when he was walking upstairs. That doom, doom, doom. I started to almost beatbox up in the closet. Oh, boom, boom, boom. But I couldn't do it yet because I couldn't die. I got caught tomorrow. So I'm just a little shook up. That's all that is. Oh, man. That's going viral. Um, and, and, you know, there's there's some he makes some points there about how, you know, you, you, you want to make sure that it, it, you can take shelter inside your home during, during a, a home invasion situation. And, you know, you want to be want to be able to hear whatever's going on. And uh Yeah. You know, look, I, I've been home before, and it's it, when I've been home before. Good story, Buck. I've been home. Yeah, no, it's, I, I've got weekend on the brain here, folks. No, but when uh, when I'm upstate with my family, my family has a uh, uh, my family's house is upstate, or my family has a home upstate. In and I know to those of you who live way upstate, and to our friends in Albany, you're like, Buck, that's not even up. Dutchess County is not really upstate. It's like a, it's like an uh, extended suburb of New York City. It's it's a hundred miles from New York City. And, and I, when I'm up there and you hear, I hear anything, you know, I hear an owl and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a home invasion owl. They train them. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really scared. I'm pretty sure Dutchess County had 
I think it was one murder last year. I mean, they actually have a, a, a murder rate that is in the point something level because they don't even average one a year. And, you know, like once a year, there's a, you know, a domestic dispute where like an elderly couple just finally can't take each other anymore or something. And someone reaches for a shotgun. That's the only homicides that I've ever really known about in, in Dutchess County. And uh, meanwhile, in New York City, though, if I'm home, I could hear, I mean, in the hallway of my building, I could hear chainsaws. I could hear people like, move, move, move. And I'd just be like, yeah, you know, they're having a party. You know, it's not a big deal. Just goes to show you what a difference in, and, and you know, New York is very safe, actually, but it's not safe like the countryside is safe. But as, as a city slicker, you're out in the country, you hear something, you know, some animal makes a noise and you're like, "Egad, man, what is that? Good heavens. Uh, definitely gets you. And then I look for like, where's the safest place in the, in the house to hide? And, you know, people always want to hide. People always want to hide in the closet. And I'm like, there's got to be a better place. You know, there's got to be a, a, a safe room somewhere uh, that you, you're all ready to rock. And hopefully, I know many of you listening are like, Buck, I don't, my entire house is a safe room because you are probably well fortified with firearms and, and, and all the rest of it. Uh, anyway, I, we're going to get into some, I, I just wanted to share that viral clip with you though. I have no idea if it's even from this week, this month, or it might've been from a few years ago, but it was quite a story that gentleman told. And, uh, I'm going to come back in just a couple of minutes here and talk to you about all things roll call, which is really where I just get to voice your thoughts, which is a lot of fun. So stay with me for that. A great way to start the weekend coming up. Well, it's been a long week, and I've got a glass of tequila waiting for me somewhere, so let's get right to it with some roll call. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Do the funky beats. I guess it's it's more of like old school rock, but some of you complained about the dubstep roll call. So, up, up, there it is. <laughs> we we have it. Don't think that we don't have it. Don't think that it can't make an appearance at some point. So I wanted to get into your insights, uh, quips, witty and concise analysis, and all the rest of it uh, here. So first up here, we have Buck. Uh, that's my name. Gosh, sorry. He's writing to, or he's writing to me, and it's from Mike. I'm an old Saturday podcast listener, OSS Squad. Are we watching the making of a sociopath in this hog kid? Um, n- 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 I, no, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I think we're just seeing somebody who's being elevated well beyond what his experience in life and his knowledge uh, would recommend at this point. And it's it's a shame because... You know, there's a part of me that feels, uh, well, first of all, you feel sympathy for any of these kids who are at the school because they suffered a trauma. But also, you know, maybe he would be a really astute observer of politics and world events, but it it does take a little bit of time. I've never met an 18-year-old kid in my life, and I'm like, yeah, I want to get some long lectures on a complex 
national policy uh, from this guy. It just hasn't happened for me. So I, I think you've, you've got a little bit more, a little more work to do. But thank you, Mike, for being a OSS. And Ted is up next here. Ted writes, listening to the podcast of yep, yesterday's episode, great show. Well, Ted, great note. I can't believe that an action movie aficionado such as yourself. Oh, here it comes. See, now, John, what they do is they say great show and then they slip in because I know that I'm going to I'm going to read it on air. Then they slip in the but I got I got a bone to pick with you on something. Anyway, Ted writes, I can't believe an action movie aficionado such as yourself has never watched Boondock Saints. It's a great action flick. And I second the recommendation you received uh, yesterday. Give it a watch. You won't be disappointed. Keep up the great work. Shields high. Ted. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to watch it. And I'm just kidding about slipping, slipping in a, a bone to pick there. But thank you very much, Ted, for your kind note. I do appreciate it. Uh, wow, we got a lot of got a lot of notes in this week. People are, are lightening up, which I very much appreciate. Uh, hey, Buck, Shields High. Question. Um, well, whoops, what, I'm, I'm missing this one here. Oh, she's asking me to pass something to Glenn. Okay, uh, I'll take a look at this, Amy, and I'll see if I can pass it to Glenn. Next up, we have Simcha from Israel. I love my Team Buck Israel, folks. We've, we've got a robust presence of, of Team Buck in Israel. Uh, Shield Side from Israel, your podcasts have been a part of my daily routine since the first time you filled in for Glenn Beck. I've heard you lament many times the foods that you can't eat or cook with due to gluten. I just wanted to make sure you are aware that next week is Passover, and as such, many stores, and especially those that cater to Jewish communities, will be carrying gluten-free versions of many products that might normally have some wheat content. Keep an eye out and ask a Jewish person to explain if you've got one handy. Keep doing what you do so well, uh, Simcha or Sam. Um, well, thank you very much, Sam. That's, I, didn't, I didn't know that. One problem that I have and, and have not been able to figure out is uh, the Eucharist as a Catholic. You know, what do you do? I, I, I cannot eat the I, I know through transubstantiation it becomes the body and blood of Christ, uh, but I can't eat it. So that's the thing. And I've actually my uh, I, there's been some back and forth over it and. <laughs> the Catholic Church, in case some of you were unaware, kind of slow to change on things. And so what I'm told is we'll just drink the wine. And I'm not going to lie to you. I don't really like the idea of drinking from a chalice that all those other folks have uh, been drinking from. So I got a little bit of germophobia and celiac. So what do I do? I don't know. I got to figure this one out. I got I got to get the Pope on the line. Well, well, actually, got a lot of things. A lot of things I got to talk to the Pope about. Uh, next up is Steve. He writes, Buck, the more I listen to your program, the more respect I have for you. You bring a calm and rational conversation to the complex and dangerous times in which we live. Keep up the good work. Ah, Steve, thank you very much for the kind note. I appreciate it. Um, we have uh, uh, we had a, my man Gentry is back. He, was, he says that he's honored that his post got to end the show. He agrees that comedy is subjective. What is hilarious to one might be offensive to another, and thus the true evil about this entire situation. 
Also, no boondock saints, really? Shields high. Keep up the fantastic work, uh, Gentry. And, you know, where is it Gentry? And it could be a hard G there. I should ask my friend Gentry. He can tell me which one in the next message he sends. Boondock Saints. All right. You know what, guys? I, I've got enough messages about it at this point that I it's it's going to happen. I got to find a time when Miss Molly is going to be gone from the house. Uh, she's not going to like it. So I got to find a time when uh, she's out and then I can watch it. So I'm going to work on it. Uh, but yes, it is on the list. It will get watched. Amanda writes following Buck. I love your show. Well, Thank you, Amanda. I love your message. It's great to hear your perspective on politics and movies. I love your impression of Hillary Clinton. It always makes me laugh. I wanted to write you because I listened to your episode mentioning the Maryland shooting and the Florida shooting. I'm currently teaching in a middle school. It's an adventure every day. I'm extremely put off by the fact that no one is mentioning that the kid on kid and teacher, uh, a kid on teacher violence in school. I don't believe guns are the problem. I think parents and children are the problem. Parents are investing values and morals in their children. They are leaving it to teachers and schools. I love my students, but it's not fair for me to be cussed out, punched, kicked, bit, slapped, or yelled at in class because I tell a kid to sit down or turn in their homework. People complain about school safety, but I ask my students how they're contributing to making a school safe with their behavior. Um, Family values need to make a comeback in a big way. Disrespecting teachers and faculty is not okay for students or parents. Thanks for keeping us informed and allowing us to share with you. Well, man, thank you for your perspective. It's a very important issue. Uh, I had a number of friends who, uh, including a a former, uh, well, a, a ex girlfriend sounds like you know something bad, but she was somebody that I dated in college, and she's now married with several children, very very happy, and I wish her all the best. Uh, but she went into a Teach for America program right out of school. And I remember talking to her later on about some of the stuff that she was subjected to and saw. And, yeah, there, some of the kids get violent with the teachers, which you rarely hear about, and puts the teacher in a very difficult situation a whole bunch of ways, right? For the female teacher, it may be that a 16- or 17-year-old male or even a 12- or 13-year-old male student might be a physical, a real physical threat to her even without a weapon. And for a male teacher... You you think, OK, well, I'll just handle it. But, you know, the kid punches you or, you know, throws a punch at you and, and you defend yourself. Y- your teaching career is going to be pretty, pretty sure. Probably I, I wouldn't count on the the school board to have your back on that necessarily. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, but thank you, Amanda, for that perspective. Um, let's see who else we've got over here. Adam writes, why is Trump not reinstated the Ronald Fireside chats? Adam, you're just going to have to ask the Trumpster himself about this one. I do not know. Um, I think Fireside, I mean, first of all, Fireside chats with Trump would be a viral sensation. It would be incredible. Like, can you imagine him sitting there with a glass of scotch just talking about whatever to America? It would be destination viewing. It would be incredible. I mean, the, the whole idea would be no script, no nothing. He's like, let's just talk about what happened this week. He could sit there in a robe, like a Hugh Hefner-esque robe. That's right. John points out he doesn't drink, so he would have a glass of uh, Martinelli's. That's what we always used to drink at Thanksgiving for the kids, you know? The adults got to have booze, and we always got to crack open the Martinelli's. I will say that stuff was delicious, the sparkling cider. Sparkling cider is incredible. It's got a lot of sugar, though, folks. 
A lot of sugar. Yeah, I know. I'm like, wah, wah, wet blanket over here. It's got a. This is like when I discover, I'm like, oh, you know what's great? I can drink hard cider instead of beer. Yeah, except hard cider, like a big thing of hard cider, it's like 250 calories. Like you might as well just have a, you know, a chocolate donut or something. So, yeah, um, hard cider has not been a big part of my of my uh, social diet. Uh, Pachesny. All right. Pachesny. Cool name. Hey, love the show. I listen to you every day at work. Shields high. All right. Pachesny. I love that you love the show and listen at work. So thank you. And shields high to you. See the short, the short notes are easy. Uh, what else do we have here? Oh, up. Oh, I'm going to have to, cl- I'm realizing now I've got to kind of shut this thing down. Unfortunately for, uh, for the day. For the weekend, everybody's working for the weekend from the Freedom Hut. See, that's what we should do, John. Instead of having actual library music we can play here over the airwaves because of rights and everything else, we should just have me record everything, one-man band, you know? I'll bust out a recorder. I don't mean a recorder for my voice so we can tape it. I mean when it's like, toot, 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 you know those little things that kids play? I'm amazing at the recorder. I'm not even, I'm not even kidding. Right now you think I'm crazy. I'm telling you the truth. I am... Not quite a recorder prodigy, but not far away from it. And if you give me a uh, any any sort of recorder-like instrument, you know, from the Middle East or elsewhere, I can make all kinds of noises with it. So there's that. All right, with that little tidbit, uh, have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me here in the Freedom Hut every day. It is an honor and a privilege. I really do mean it. Tell a friend about the show. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, even if you are a live listener. And until next time, have a great weekend. Shields high.